Hello, hello, Discasters. How are you all doing today? I hope you're all having a wonderful week. Uh, today is an exciting episode because we are just starting, or we are officially starting with the what is known as the Bronze Age of the Disney animated classics uh, with today's first film, The Aristocats. But before that, we're going to do some quick headlines here. <clears throat> uh, first headline, uh, well, I mean, it's kind of not really a headline, but... Uh, I came across this little list of the best Disney songs of all time. Now, I wanted to talk, kind of talk about this and kind of go through it because I wanted to go through the list with with y'all and we could like, I guess, figure that out. Well, I guess just give my opinions and everything and see what comes from that. Um, Because I, I firmly believe that it's all very subjective as to what people believe or how people feel they should rank the Disney songs, but... We're just going to go through it real quick and see what we think. So there, it doesn't say that they're any in any particular order. It doesn't say they're in like, this is number one, number two, and so on. So here we go. This first one is We Don't Talk About Bruno. Now, if you've seen Encanto, uh, you'll know this song. And I freaking love this song. The song is so easily obsessed over. It is such a well-crafted song, just in its composition, in the melody, and everything about it, and how it incorporates the Latin music and everything. It's really, really good. I really like this song. I do think it is definitely a strong contender for one of the better songs. It's definitely one of the better songs in, in the movie Encanto for sure, I think. Of course, we have I Just Can't Wait to Be King, which is just an unstoppable bop of a of a song. I, that whole album from the original Lion King is freaking great. Uh, and this song is, of course, just no, no different. Uh, it's incredibly fun and just evokes nothing but funness in it, I guess. Um, yeah, it's, it's just super fun. And then to go along with the animation of it is also spectacular with like all the different colors and all the animals and everything. The song is just great. It's very, very fun. The Elton John version, like the actual recorded version is also very fun. And I highly recommend y'all take a listen to it. Friend Like Me. I mean, come on, Friend Like Me. This song is just awesome. I feel like we're going to go through this list and just be like, yep, that song is awesome. That song is awesome. That song is awesome. Because quite frankly, there are a lot of them that are. And Friend Like Me is definitely one of those. And, you know, to have that like really fun, it's, I don't even know if it's like a jazz reference, but just, it's great. And Robin does such a killer job in that song. And it's just very fun. It's a great, it's especially like a great kind of intro into, I guess, the character of Jeannie. And uh, and that sort of thing. Uh, of course, we have. Uh, oh, I should probably say because uh, I don't. It doesn't specify, but off the top of my head, I, we uh, we can thank Lin Manuel Miranda for "We Don't Talk About Bruno," and we can thank uh, Eldon John and Tim Rice for "I Just Can't Wait to Be King," and of course, we can thank uh, Alan Menken. And I don't think Howard Ashman did the did the lyrics. I don't because I think because Aladdin was after he died. But we can thank Alan Menken for a friend like me because hell yeah. Now, why should I worry? Why should I worry is from Oliver and Company? And honestly, I firmly believe Oliver and Company is heavily underrated. Like, it's such a fun, silly version of the Oliver story, hence Oliver. But I do think that some of the songs in it are very, very fun. Like, Why Should I Worry is just a great song. And even the latter, even the later song, like, the later songs that come out of like the one that uh, Georgette sings when she's like coming down the stairs and just, it's all about her. That one's really great. Um, the one where the dogs are singing to Oliver about like surviving on the streets. I can't, I can't remember the names of these songs. I have to look it up again. I haven't, admittedly I haven't seen this movie in a while. Uh, we're going to get to this one later because this one is in the bronze age uh, is in the bronze age of Disney. Uh, but I mean like this movie's great and this song is really fun. Uh, sung by Billy uh, by Billy Joel, because uh, he's of course like a New York icon. Uh, yeah. Uh, next is "Show Yourself" from Frozen Two. I think "Show Yourself" is definitely the better one. Is definitely the better film, uh, or not film? Sorry. Uh, "Show Yourself" is definitely the better song over "Let It Go," in my opinion. Not "Let It Go." Sorry. Um, Oh no, I'm forgetting it. The one that was like the most heavily marketed, um, that one. And then they really surprised us with "Show Yourself." Like I remember watching the film, and then "Show Yourself" happened. And I was like, "Oh, this song is, this song is good." 
I really like it. It, it was definitely the surprise, the 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 pleasant surprise uh, of Frozen Two for sure. Not that Let It Go is bad. Let It Go is great, but Show Yourself was just very very good. Out there from Hunchback of Notre Dame is so good. It's definitely one of my favorites of that movie. Um, yeah, it's it's such a strong song, and it's very it's very much I think the I Want song of Hunchback. Because it, you know, it tells, it talks about just, you know, quasi just wanting to go and live amongst the people. It's very much the I Want song of Hunchback. And yeah, that song, that one's really good. The, the, the Hunchback, I think, is probably one of the more underrated films within the Renaissance era. And I think that's for a, for a couple reasons. And we'll talk about it like later when we actually get to Hunchback. But like the, the, the music of it is, is beautiful. And because of the setting, because it's, you know, uh, takes place, I guess, like in, uh, like in and amongst uh, religious uh, iconography. A lot of the soundtrack is based in like choral music, and me having grown up in choral music, I can't not love that, tra- like that that soundtrack. It's beautiful, and out there is just a really, really good, like a good solid like tenor solo kind of thing. It's really good. Uh, next is I'll make a man out of you which is very much just like in my <laughs> it's in my 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 gym playlist. Uh I'll make a man out of you which is a great song and especially like I like how it's it's that song and then it, with Mulan kind of proving herself to be as strong as all the other men and everything, you know, even though she's a woman. Uh I say that in that like of course not saying that women can't be strong or anything, but like it the purpose of it is to show that her gender is not a barrier and she can in fact be better and do just as well as all the other men and everything. I think it's a great song and it's, it's got a great like uh pseudo message. I think mostly in that um, in the context, in the context of the film, I think the, the song ha- is a lot more poignant. I won't say I'm in love is great. Uh, it, is it my favorite from Hercules? No. Is it great? Yes. But I'm I'm just a sucker for the muses. Like the songs that the muses do are spectacular. This is this one I think is definitely the the least gospel-y because of course the soundtrack was very was very gospel because that was what they, they were that was what they were going for, right? They were going for the idea of the Greek chorus with the muses and everything, and so they decided to go with gospel. Uh seeing as how this is telling more, I'm not going to say it's telling a religious story, but it's telling uh, folklore, I guess. And, you know, you kind of see that with gospel and with like church related things. Um, but I won't say I'm in love is definitely a good song. I think still in, uh, in the Hercules film. Uh, I see the light from Tangled. This is just a beautiful song. Like just, uh, compositionally and contextually and with all the visuals of what's happening in the film with the lanterns and everything. It is a beautiful song. It is a wonderful duet. And I think it's definitely one of the stronger duets like that come that have come out of Disney for sure. Uh, Strangers Like Me from Tarzan, that whole album. How dare Phil Collins come out and be like, you know what? I'm going to do this and just fucking just kill it. Like, just hands down, he fucking killed it. Uh, Strangers Like Me is a really, really, is is a great song. I, I almost, I would probably say it's the closest I want song, or to an I want song, because, like, it's him talking about, it's tar, it's definitely from Tarzan's point of view. And it's very much just, like, Tarzan talking about these people that are like him and how he wants to learn from him and everything, right? So I would probably consider that to be the I Want song of, of Tarzan. Be Our Guest? Be Our Guest. What a fucking bop. Like, what can I say about Be Our Guest that people don't already know is the fact that this song is great and Howard Ashman and Alan Menken just knock it out of the fucking park with this song. Everything about it is great. A Whole New World, which, uh, talking about, like, iconic duos, iconic duets (laughs) there's another one my whole thing with a whole new world 
I think, is that like while I appreciate the song, it's not my favorite. And I think part of that is because it has been so heavily played as like this beautiful romantic duet, blah, blah, blah. And I think for me, that almost kind of kills it, I guess. I mean, like, not that I don't like the song, but I just feel like it's not my favorite of the of from Aladdin because of that reason, because it it is more or less cliche. And that kind of bugs me about it. Uh, also, that's two from Aladdin that we have now in this list. Uh, almost there from The Princess and the Frog. And Almost There is a spectacular song. This is definitely the I Want song. Uh, you know, it could, because it is, of course, uh, Tiana talking about how she wants to, or like her goals and everything and what and how she is truly almost at where she wants to be and that kind of thing it's it's definitely the closest thing to an i want song in that in that movie um but it's great and like visually the 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 fucking visuals and animation is beautiful like i know it's in reference to something but i can't for the life of me figure out what it is and i'm sure we'll get to it well and we'll get i'll try and figure it out by by the time we get to it uh when we're at princess and the frog uh, as we go later into i think it's considered to be in the revival era i think that's what it is yeah you've got a friend in me from toy story this this song fucking kills me it is such a wonderful song by Randy Newman, and he just fucking kills it. It's such a good song. Like I can't, I don't. I, it's hard to really talk about it because what else can you say other than this song is beautiful and it's great. And like Toy Story doesn't have many songs in it, of course, because it's a Pixar film. It's not meant to be musical, right? But you've got a friend of me. And then later on, there's the song that is sung when Buzz is trying to, like, admit to himself that he is real and he's not a toy. And so he jumps off the stairs in order to fly and, of course, doesn't. But the song that is sung at that moment, I think, is also very good. But you've got a friend of me. This song has has been a staple since Toy Story came out, since 1995. Like, it's just even the opening melody, the... Do, 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 like everybody knows that, right? And it's played all over the place, but it, it, it doesn't feel like it's overplayed, if that makes sense. I don't know. It's great. Now, this song, Part of Your World, is the iconic Disney I Want song because it is very much that. This is Howard Ashman and Alan Menken probably at their best. They fucking killed it with The Little Mermaid. Part of Your World... Every single time. I don't know why. I don't know why. But I get so emotional with it. I get so choked up. It hits me in a place that I don't know why. And it's so hard for me to listen to it and even to sing it without getting some sort of choking up. Like, I can't. And I don't know why. Like, I don't have any, I don't think I have any real emotional thing like attached to it but I guess I must somewhere in my brain because like like it's uh, it just hits me it hits me so hard <laughs> uh but yeah like that song is fucking beautiful I love that song so much so much um funny story about that song actually um <laughs> I went out I went out to the strip club with some friends once and one of the strippers dressed up like uh like Ariel and actually live sang part of your world and stripped to it and it was such a moment I was like is this happening right now this lady is getting naked and she's singing part of your world what is happening it was just very very fun and great of course I tipped her because duh but it was just uh it was great it was such a funny moment. Anyway, we got some honorable honorable, uh, honorable mentions here. Uh, Friends on the Other Side from Princess and the Frog, which is a fucking great villain song. But of course, Disney is well known for their villain songs. Like, they give their villains such fucking good songs. And of course, this, Friends on the Other Side, is definitely uh, no exception. Uh, a Star is Born from Hercules. There's one of the Muses songs. Uh, it's not my favorite 
but of course, all these songs are kind of my favorites. But it, my, my personal number one is Zero to Hero. Zero to Hero is a, is a fucking killer song. But Star is Born is also really, really fun, and it's great. It's definitely It definitely feels like a good, solid ending song because it happens at the end of the film. And it feels like it, if that makes sense. It fits where it's supposed to be. When Will My Life Begin from Tangled, which is also very good. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily... I guess that could be considered an I Want song. I guess. It's good. I like When Will My Life Begin. It's very fun. Uh, not, in my opinion, the strongest song of Tangled, but still, it's it's the first song. It's the intro song, like, after... Um, like after, I guess what you could call the cold open, because like you have the story of the flower, and then you have Flynn running away with the other bad guys, and then escaping, and then, and then it like cuts to Rapunzel. Um, it but it's a great song. It's a great song to start the film off. Be prepared. Be prepared. What can I say about be prepared? Holy shit! We're talking about iconic villain songs. This song. This song is so good. Be prepared. Ugh. It infuriated me. I was in the chair in the theater, and I was beginning to seethe with anger when I was watching the live-action Lion King, and they removed this song. How dare you? I have opinions about the Lion King live-action film, and we will get to those when I get to it. Which... I'm not going to lie, I'm kind of dreading, but got to be done. <laughs> uh, Let It Go. Let It Go. I genuinely like this song, and I will tell you why. Let It Go is a very, very strong song, not just musically and just like as it is, but it is a very, very strong song because I think it does a really, really good job of being people's anchor song, especially people... Like there's a there's a big reason why a lot of the queer community really really latched onto it, and it's very similar to the same reason why reflection was, uh, was a was not co opted well I guess kind of co opted, uh, which is funnily enough another one of these uh, honorable mentions was reflection from Mulan, but it very much goes into identity and just realizing that you yourself are so much stronger than you think you are and just really truly living in your truth kind of thing and I love that and so let it go there I think there's a big reason why let it go was taken by a lot of drag queens why it was per- so why it was performed so consistently by drag queens because it's very much a song that I think a lot of us queer people can truly relate to and it's also just super fun and like really fun to like perform and stuff. Um, Perfect isn't easy. That's this is the one that's that Georgette sings from Oliver and Company. Perfect isn't easy is such a fun, ridiculous song. I believe it's Bette Midler actually, which is fucking great. So like if you're gonna get anybody to play Georgette and anybody to like sing this song, it's definitely got to be like an iconic diva like fucking Bette Midler. It's so great. Uh, one of Us from Lion King Two. Now this is interesting. Because The Lion King 2, uh, I'm trying to remember the song, and I think I remember the song, but I'm remembering other songs better. Like, I remember Upendi, which is supposed to be like the Swahili song in it that Rafiki sings, which is fun. It's okay. But my brain immediately goes to uh, He Lives in You uh, by Lebo by Lebo M, uh, which is the opening song to The Lion King 2. And was actually taken from that film and put into the Lion King live action, or sorry, not live action, uh, the Broadway Lion King show. Uh, I think that song is stronger than One of Us, but I guess I just got to listen to it again. Like, I, I haven't watched it. I haven't watched Lion King 2 in fucking ages. And yeah, so I got to watch it again. I got to listen to those songs again. We'll get, probably get to those when we get to the uh, to the Renaissance period, which I'm very excited for. Uh, Colors of the Wind by Pocahontas, or from Pocahontas. Colors of the Wind is such a brilliant song, and I love it. And this one also kind of hits me really hard, too, because I think it really just go, delves into just that idea that, like, people need to realize that, like... It's right there in the song. 
you think you own whatever land you land on. Uh, the earth is just a dead thing you can claim. And I'm not a particularly like religious person or, you know, I, or anything like that. But I firmly believe that the earth is. It it's a living thing and we see it, but it just makes me sad that people will go will subscribe to their own greed and not give a fuck. Instead of being like, maybe we should actually take care of this planet that we're like, we're all so obsessed with going to Mars and with space. And I love space and I love the concept of space travel and forwarding humanity in that sense. But I also feel like we also really need to focus on the Earth and what we're doing to it, because what we're doing to the Earth is not okay. And I think this song is very poignant and important for that message, because people need to remember that the Earth is like... We're living on it. We are experiencing climate change every fucking day. Like here in Vancouver, we just went through a big cold snap. Um, Los Angeles is getting colder than ever. It's never been that cold before. This past summer, we had this stupid heat wave that literally killed people because we're not... Vancouver isn't built for 40 degrees Celsius heat. Like, it's not... It's not good what's happening and I don't like it, and I don't especially, and I especially don't like the fact that people are ignoring it, especially the people in power. They just don't care, and I think that's what um, "Colors of the Wind" really should mean: is that like we need to focus on what matters, which is just to take care of the planet and do something, whatever we can do to stop or slow down climate change. Anyway, anyway, that's me on my soapbox. Final uh, little. Um, uh honorable mention here is lost in the woods from frozen 2 this song is just pure fun like (laughs) i love everything about it it is it's just so great and and like how they wrote it is super fun and the fact that it's so heavily references like 80s like power palettes (laughs) and just everything about it. it is so ridiculous and fun and i love it it's just so good so good and yeah all in all like the songwriters and the people that they get to work on these days these songs are just all super talented people and as we go through these uh, especially as we go into like the renaissance period because i really think that the renaissance period really kind of changed that uh, up until now, we've had we've had movies that have been good in terms of songs and like iconic music, but I don't think anything has been as iconic as the Renaissance period and forward. And I really think the Renaissance period really kind of changed that idea of Disney musicals and just how truly iconic they can be, right? Because like we're gonna get into Aristocats in a minute, and we're, and we're gonna talk about like the songs from this movie because there are like a couple and like. You know, they're fun, but, you know, they're no, you know, they're no Lion King. They're no Hunchback. They're no Beauty and the Beast. They're no Pocahontas, right? Like, I feel like there's a, yeah, I feel like when we got into the Renaissance, things really changed. And we really have Howard Ashman and Alan Menken to thank for that. But I'm digressing a little bit. We'll get into that. <laughs> we'll definitely get into that later on. Uh, let's see here. Um... I think that's about it. I mean, like, I just talked for, like, 20 fucking minutes about, like, Disney songs, which, honestly, I could go on and just tell you all, every, about every freaking song that I love. I guess, like, uh, um, uh, what's it called? Oh, my brain. My brain is blanking right now. <laughs> uh, I guess an exception to this rule would be Mary Poppins that we just talked about over the last few weeks, how, like, all of those songs are fucking iconic and brilliant and stupidly well-written, right? And the Sherman Brothers are just... um, They're an amazing songwriting duo, and I just can't get enough of them. But for now, we're going to go ahead and just jump right into the main topic of today's film, or of today's episode, is The Aristocats. So, as I mentioned, The Aristocats was the first film to be uh, introduced into what is known as the Bronze Age. Excuse me. It is also probably the first movie to be released 
uh, after Walt's death, even though technically Jungle Book was released in 67 after he died, but at the very least, he still kind of worked on it. So the Aristocats is the first movie that, that they released in which Walt had no hand in because, of course, he passed away at this point. So does that reflect in the film? I don't think so necessarily because the studio was already kind of transitioning into uh, into films that Walt didn't really work on a whole lot because he was so heavily focused on Disneyland, right? Um, I think uh, Mary Poppins is probably one of the only ones that he like truly had a, like a solid hand in. Um, but even then, that was mostly because he had to deal with, with uh, Mrs. Travers. And also, uh, he just kind of left it to his writing team, and he he would come in and have a say and everything. And that's kind of how he worked, because so much of his attention and focus was on Disneyland. And then later on, uh, moving into Florida for uh, the Epcot project. Uh, so, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, this is the first film to be done, uh, in like I said, in which Walt had nothing to do with it. Um and I, I, re- I actually really like this movie. It's fun. Uh, it is based on uh, The Aristocats, uh, which is uh, a story by Tom McGowan and Tom Rowe, uh, which revolves around a family of aristocratic cats. Uh, the story kind of reflects in the film. Uh, it's kind of a short story, more or less, I think. Um, but it, it's a very simple story. So we have... Uh, this, so the intro is very fun because it's very different. It's different in that, like we have, instead of just having like an, like a very static kind of, uh, intro sequence, we have, not only do we have moving, uh, actual animation in the intro sequence, but we have an actual song being sung in the intro sequence. And off the top of my head, I can't think of another film in which, well, some of the classic ones did. Like, I know Alice did. I know Peter Pan did. Um, but that, but this is in, this is the first time we get someone who's, like, a solo act sing uh, this song. Uh, it's just called The Aristocats. It is uh, by the Sherman Brothers. The Sherman Brothers wrote uh, quite a few of these songs. Um, the Aristocats, Scales and Arpeggios, which later on the, the Kittens would do. And then uh, She Never Felt Alone, um, which I believe is a song that Duchess sings, if I'm right. Um, sing about uh, the, uh, the mistress. Um, but yeah, and so like we start off with the song The Aristocats, which is basically talking about the, uh, the cats themselves. And it's very fun because there's like bits of animation of the cats, like kind of in like sketch pencil drawing kind of happening. It's very, very fun. It's very different and it's very dynamic and I really dig it. I think it's really, really cool. Uh, from there we see, we meet the cats and the, meet the family. <laughs> and uh, it's it's the cats and they live with uh, their retired opera singer of, um, of an owner. Her name is uh, Madame Adelaide Bonfamille. Uh, who has an English butler named Edgar. And basically she just, she says that, you know, she has no family and everything. And so like the cats are her family and like, and of course, subsequently uh, Edgar himself. Uh, The lady is very, very nice. She's very sweet. She's very pleasant. Uh, We know she takes care of the kittens because, you know, everyone's well taken care for and everything. She has a horse because why the hell not? Because this is 1910 in Paris and there are still horse-drawn carriages everywhere as well as like some of the very first uh, uh, automobiles. Um, and so we're introduced to her a little bit and then uh, she lets her butler Edgar know that her lawyer is going to be coming who is a, who is a, uh, who's a very, very long, uh, long-standing friend of hers. George, uh, George Hautcourt, I think is, what's his name? I'm trying to do it, I'm trying to do it in the French so I don't sound really, really, you know, dumb when I say it in English, but uh, George Hautcourt or something, but also my French is terrible. So I guess regardless, I'm going to sound like a doofus. It's okay. Anyway, and so let's Edgar know that he's arriving. George arrives 
in like this like jalopy, which is so funny. And he's just such an he's such an uh, a funny character. Like like everything about him is so silly. He's like bent over. He's like all crotchety with a cane and stuff. He in order to help himself like stand, he has to like hit himself in the butt to like make his hip joints work. And he's like going along. He's like very spry for his. He's clearly like eighty something. He's the guy's about to keel over, but he has such a fun like energy about him, and he doesn't like let any of that let him down. It's so funny. He goes into the house. And, like, he's going up the stairs, and Edgar's like, perhaps we should take the elevator, sir? And he's like, man, that old birdcage, man. He just, like, goes up the stairs. He's, like, having trouble going up the stairs. The whole thing about it, it's it's funny. It's very, it's a lot of physical comedy. And I love it, and it's great. Uh, it's just very silly and very fun. Anyway, so she arrived him, or she arrived him. She invited him over in order to discuss her will, because she wants to get her will sorted. Uh, and so... In doing so, they find out, or Edgar, who's in his room, which is a, just a tiny little room, I guess, in one of the upper floors or in the attic or something, he hears through, like, this uh, this speak pipe or something, like a speaking tube, I guess, uh, that connects from the, uh, what's it called? From, I guess, her drawing room or her bedroom or something. It's, like, her office. Connects from there to hit to Edgar's room where he's, like, ironing his pants or whatever. He hears them discussing the will. And he finds out that that madame is going to be bestowing her entire fortune all of her property everything to her cats and he freaks out because it goes to the cats first and then once they've lived off their lives and died then it goes to edgar but he's frustrated because he's like cool so i have to wait for not only do i have to wait for the mom to die but then i gotta wait for the three other kittens to die and those three kittens will live probably another 15 years so pro he's probably not going to see the fortune for like 20 years and so he's you know he's getting up there he's probably in like 40s or 50s and so he's like well what the fuck and so he makes a plan to basically take the cats and the kittens and kidnap them and like get rid of them somehow anyway so, after that, then we cut to actually meeting the cats, uh, and this is where we meet Duchess, who is who is the mama kitty, who is the mama cat, and then we meet the three kids. We meet Marie, Toulouse, and Berlioz. Uh, Marie's the white kitten with the pink bow. I think you can tell which one. Uh, Toulouse is the ginger cat, and Berlioz is the black cat. So we meet them. We meet their dynamic. They're very, they're, they're, they're straight up siblings. They're, they're triplets. They're adorable. Um, but it's very interesting because the du uh, Duchess is also trying to teach them certain, uh, like just trying to teach them how to be, you know, gentlemen's and, and a lady and stuff. And so we see them do things like, 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 like Toulouse goes and paints a painting because to do his art and Berlioz and uh, Berlioz goes and practices his piano and uh, Marie does her singing like it's they're a very artistic family which I think is kind of nice um, and yeah they're all just a very cute little family and you know just uh, they're like playing around and like clawing and biting and stuff and then Duchess is like please like aristocrats aristocrats don't 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 claw and bite that's just terrible like it's just very very funny she, she's very very like high class and everything uh this cast is very fun uh eva gabor is is duchess uh eva gabor uh, is a hungarian actress uh singer socialite uh she also voices miss bianca in the aristocat or sorry in rescuers and rescuers down under she's also i believe the sister to jaja gabor uh, which is why the name Gabor is probably, like, resonating with people. Uh, she did not sing for Duchess. That was uh, Robbie Lester, uh, who was just um, hired as a singer. Uh, apparently, she provided the voice for Miss Jessica in the Rankin and Bass animated special Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Uh, so if any of you remember, like, the old Franklin and Bash, uh, uh, Rankin and Bass um cartoons like the claymation stop motion films uh she was in that as miss jessica uh we have gary dubin as toulouse who's just an american actor uh liz english was marie uh was of course named after marie antoinette and then uh, dean clark as berlioz uh so yeah like the the cast itself oh and uh, uh duchess uh or not duchess sorry um where is it where is it uh ah the Madame was voiced by uh, Hermione 
uh, oh my God, this is a long name. Uh, Hermione Yolanda Ruby Clinton Badele was an English actress of theater and film. Uh, so she played the Madame. Uh, everybody, I think, did a pretty good job in this film, like 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 voice acting wise. And uh, later, when we meet, when we meet Thomas O'Malley, who's you know just a <laughs> fucking great great cat, great fun character, is uh, Phil Harris. Now he he's a voice that we'll we'll recognize because he was the voice of Baloo. Uh, he was also he's also the voice of uh, Little John in Robin Hood. We'll get to that later. Uh, yeah, so he's. He does a really good job in this movie as well. And actually, I really, really like the character of Thomas O'Malley, and I'll talk about him in a moment. Um, yeah, so we got the so we got the kittens, and everybody's playing, and they're doing their thing. Get uh, We get the song scales and arpeggios uh, by the Sherman Brothers. Uh, and it's all very cute. And then Edgar is preparing their, their meal, which is like a cream dish. But he, of course, he slips in, you know, sleeping pills and shit like that because he wants to knock them out because he wants to, you know... Um, kidnap them and stuff so yeah that's that's a thing that he wants to do still uh and we meet like the little mouse that lives in the house which i think is hilarious uh his name is uh Roquefort, uh who is played by sterling holloway sterling holloway we will also we will recognize as well uh as the stork from dumbo of course uh he's the cheshire cat in alice in wonderland he was Ka in the jungle book uh he like a pretty iconic voice actor within the classic Disney, like within uh, uh, like mid 20th century Disney films, uh, you'll immediately recognize him. Like if you hear him, it's a very, very distinct voice, but we meet Roquefort who comes in, kind of joins in the meal. He brings in like a little cracker and he like dips it in the cream and he eats it and stuff. Uh, But of course everybody like passes out because of the sleeping pills. And then, um, Edgar takes everybody in a basket with like his his on his motorbike and sidecar in the middle of the night, takes them out into the French countryside. Uh, and then these two random dogs, um, Napoleon and Lafayette, uh, attack Edgar because just just for fun. Um, is he's like he's riding on the road. And then they just hear him and they're like, we're going to have some fun. And they just go and attack him like the poor guy. Oh, poor guy. Anyway, so they attack him and then the car or and then the, the basket falls out of the thing and then they end up landing like under a bridge. And uh, and then uh, Edgar kind of just like rides away on his bike. And yeah, it's not it's it's it starts off pretty sad in um, with the film. So the next morning, Duchess wakes up and she finds that she is not at home. Actually, no, even before that happens, like because they got they get stuck in a storm, and then we cut to the Madame who's back at the house, back at the mansion, and she wakes up and she's like, "Oh, I just had a terrible dream. Like, that something bad happens." And then she goes to like try and see if the kittens and the cats are okay, and oh, and they're not in their bed, and they're gone, and everybody panics, and it's very sad. Um, but like while that's happening, like Roquefort overhears and um, the horse whose name is oh Fru Fru the name uh, Fru Fru the horse who's uh, Madame's carriage horse uh, also hears about it and like everybody is just like super sad and Roquefort actually runs out into the rain in order to go and try and find the kittens and try and find Duchess and everyone. And then we cut to the next morning. Duchess wakes up, finds out of course she's not in her bed. And starts to freak out. And, uh, you know, and everyone's, you know, kind of worried. And she's just, like, finding all where all the kittens went because everybody flew out of the out of the basket. She collects everybody. And she's like, okay, we need to figure out what to do. And then she just tries to figure things out. And then suddenly they start hearing a little singing happening. And we pan over. And there we see our good friend, J. Thomas O'Malley singing his little like song kind of about himself <laughs> which is kind of funny um it, this is probably my favorite song uh in the film it is a wonderful song uh it's just such a great intro song it's uh written by uh Terry Gilkison uh who is an American folk singer composer and lyricist um I believe he's done other work with Disney, like one or two other off songs, I think. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I I really enjoy this song. It is a very, very fun song. 
Um, and it just kind of talks about him and his uh, how he's like a wandering, uh, like a wandering cat and everything. He sees Duchess, kind of like immediately falls for her, you know, because she's supposed to be this stunning, beautiful. Um, I I'm not gonna say she's a purebred because I don't think she's a purebred, but she's just very like thoroughbred maybe is the right word i don't know she she clearly comes from like a good long line of like really really high quality cats i guess and of course if anything the duchess can absolutely afford it you know she's got like a chateau somewhere and then she has her house in paris or, or her mansion in paris and blah 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 anywho's but the kittens are in the basket they don't see anything They're, they only kind of are just like peeking their eyes out and watching watching as as o'malley is like straight up flirting with their mom and it's very very funny and, uh, yeah, and she's like, oh, like, I need to get back to Paris. And he's like, oh, I can absolutely help you get back to Paris. And, like, just, like, fully, full-on flirt, you know, whole thing. It's really funny. He's, like, complimenting her eyes and saying how beautiful she is and all this other stuff. And she's, like, fully – it's funny because, like, she's I, – I, I think she's into it. But at the same time, she's kind of – dismissing it i think it's very she's playing very coy with how she's taking all these compliments and everything i think she sees behind the facade but she's kind of going with it because i think she's very confident and like maybe this guy can actually get me back to back home back to paris anyway and then suddenly like marie just comes out of nowhere or whatever like after because everything that's happening she considers to be super romantic it's oh my god it's so romantic <laughs> and Barry is like this is fucking bullshit whatever uh and so she comes up and then she and then surprises O'Malley with like oh three and then out comes uh Berlioz, four and then Toulouse he's like five oh and so he realizes like oh, okay this is a little bit more than I than I had thought and then it's it's a quick moment because he says he promises her that we'll take a magic carpet ride back to back to Paris and stuff. You know, clearly a line. It's so clearly a line. And she kind of calls him out on it and by testing him, being like, "Oh, like I'm sorry. Like I guess we won't be able to take the magic carpet ride or whatever." And and Marie's like, "I I promise. I'll I promise him. Uh, I'll be quiet and I'll fit." And it's just very cute. And he's like, "And th- this is where we really appreciate O'Malley's character." Because here he is, like, fully trying to get with Duchess. Sees that she has three kids already. And just imme- instead of being, like, this kind of asshole douchebag who's, like, just dismisses her and the kids because, oops, or, well, I guess, you know, I'm just going to not get with her because she's got kids or whatever. He fully, like, he dives right in. He goes and like talks to the kids and everything. Gets really like invested, and then like he's like, "Yeah, like no, you know what? Yeah, if I set a magic carpet ride, we're gonna take a magic carpet ride." Goes up to the street, and like the kids are like fully into it. Duchess, I think she's still very skeptical, but and then comes and then comes uh, a like an like a really really old early twentieth century milk truck. Uh, and then he scares the driver, makes him stall his truck, and then gets everybody into the back of it. Uh, and, like, kind of guides or starts every, taking everybody back to Paris. So he's he's a man of his word. And I think Duchess sees it. And he's like, okay, yeah. And so then from there, then we kind of see this little journey that, they're, that they all go on uh, to, like, get back to Paris. And it's all very, very cute. There's definitely a lot of flirting between Duchess and O'Malley. But I really, what I really appreciate about this is the fact that O'Malley's character is still, yeah, like it's clear he's still super into Duchess, and so as we see the movie progress, we see that it's more than just a one-off thing. He actually begins to develop feelings for her. But what I really appreciate is the fact that they made it that he is also invested in the children, is that he also really likes the kids, and admittedly they're very, very sweet and adorable kids. Um. But yeah, that 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 I think was one of the things that I really really appreciated about this character. It's like, oh, he didn't, he wasn't an asshole. He's just a really nice, genuinely a nice guy. Anyway, uh, so then they get chased out by the driver because the driver sees that these cats are drinking the milk in the back of the thing, chases them off, and then they end up going back, going on foot, 
They go along a rail. The train comes. They all jump underneath the bridge because they're walking on, crossing on a bridge. And then, unfortunately, Marie falls off. And so Thomas dives into the water, saves Marie, and then he floats downstream. And this is where we meet. <laughs> this is where we meet Amelia and Abigail Gabble, two British geese on holiday, which is very funny to me. Uh, and so the geese like think that Thomas is trying to learn how to swim when he clearly can't. He's like trying to like swim to a rock with his with like uh like a uh, a reed in his mouth or something. And they're like, you know what? We're just gonna we're gonna help you learn how to swim. So they cut the reed so he's there, and then he starts drowning. And then they go down and bring him back up and bring him onto the land. And that's where Duchess and the kittens find him again. And then they're all they're, these geese are just so funny. Like they're just so fucking silly. They're meant to be twins, of course. Uh, Monica Evans and Carol Shelley play Abigail and Amelia, respectively. Uh, I don't really know much about these these actresses. Uh, Monica Evans uh, was Cecily Pigeon in The Odd Couple. Uh, looks like she did a little bit of Broadway stuff. Uh, Carol Shelley, another British actress. Uh, Gwendolyn Pigeon in The Odd Couple. Uh, the character of Madame Morrible. Oh, well, that's pretty good. I guess originally the character of Madame Morrible in Wicked. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and so then, so they find out that they're they're heading to Paris, and so the Gabbles are also going to Paris to go see their, their Uncle Waldo. Uh, and so they end up going all together and uh, in, like, one big group. And then fast forward, I don't know, like, fucking, like, six hours or whatever, and there they are in Paris, and they find out that Uncle Waldo is, like supposed to be um he's supposed to be the main dish of a restaurant and so we cut to him like because they walk up to the restaurant and they hear the commotion and oh no they don't walk up to the restaurant sorry it pans to the restaurant where we see uncle waldo be like running around the kitchen trying not to get his head cut off and he ends up escaping and that's where we that's where he meets up with uh with the gabbles and the rest of the crew and he's fucking drunk off his ass. It's so funny because the dish that was supposed to be served, I think it was like uh, fresh country goose uh, like in something in white wine, basted in white wine. And so he's just like fucking drunk off his ass because clearly he'd been drinking some of that white wine. And it's funny because like he, he's very much like an over-exaggerated drunk, which is very funny. And to me... I'm like I've a hundred percent seen this person in real life who's like too fuck who's too loud who's just so obnoxious, but is like <laughs> is just so who just clearly needs just to go home and go to bed. He's not hurting anybody. He's just you know he's just being he's just he's just drunk and it's just very funny. We've all seen that person. Some of us probably have been that person. Uh, and so, and it's funny because Amali has like a line where he's like, basted, he's been marinated in it. And it's like, oh shit. Like, because he's, he's fucking drug off his ass. It's very funny. Uh, anyway, and so then the Gabbles decide to take Uncle Waldo home. So they all walked away together. And then um, Thomas takes everybody back to his place, uh, a place that he has in Paris. You know, it's a little bit of a rundown area, but uh, because he's like, you know what? Everybody's been walking for hours literally the entire day the kittens are tired let's just sleep here then we'll then i'll take you home in the morning kind of thing um and so that's where we meet scat cat and the rest of the cats like the rest of the performing cats uh now big thing about this movie is that it does have the sensitivity warning at the beginning of the film and in this next sequence is why because after Thomas goes into the apartment because Duchess and the kittens are like, you know what? No, yeah, this sounds like a good time. Like, like, let's go in. We don't have to like find a new place or anything. They fully agree. And then, uh, so Thomas takes everyone into the house and then meets Scat Cat, who, by the way, Scat Cat himself is actually played by Scatman Carruthers, uh, who I don't know if any of you know who that is, but he's a very, very, uh, well-known musician. Um, uh, he was also Dick Halloran in Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. So that's pretty great. Uh, but yeah. Um, 
and so meets everybody. Uh, and then this is where we get into the number of uh, everybody wants to be a cat. At least, a, yes, everybody wants to be a cat. It's a very long name. It's a very long title, uh, but it's okay. Um, yeah, and so this is where we get into that song, which is a very fun kind of upbeat jazzy number. Uh, and this is where the sensitivity warning comes in because one of so the cats are of different breeds from different places. Scatman Crothers or Scat Cat is clearly based on like more of an American. Uh, there's kind of like a hippie esque looking cat who plays a, an acoustic guitar. There's like the Russian cat who plays it. Uh, I'm going to assume he's definitely not playing a double bass, but he's probably playing like a cello or like, you know, one of those bassy string instruments. Uh, there's an Italian cat with like a, with like a long must, like a long thin mustache uh, playing the accordion. And then we have a Siamese cat who plays the piano. And so this is kind of where we get into the sensitivity warning. Uh, because at one point in the song, uh, the Siamese cat uses chopsticks to play on the piano and saying like a bunch of like not so great things. Just like, yeah, it's 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 not great. Um, this is probably the only real fault of this film. Otherwise, I think the rest of the film is pretty great. Um, now, unfo- now it, the sequence is definitely just kind of, in my opinion, a victim of the times kind of thing because of course this is 1970 uh this movie was being done like in, in the late 60s and a lot of things were what we would what we consider now incredibly insensitive at the time this is a prime example do i think this was done with any sort of malicious intent no because this is just how that's just how media was like in the mid 20th century it was if you weren't if you weren't a cis white person you were an other and you were able to be made fun of basically nobody was safe effectively and so yeah and so i wouldn't necessarily say this is uh, is it racist yeah it is but i'd probably call it more like a passive racism rather than an overt act of racism because this this wasn't done i i don't see this as like an act of like this was written into the film in order to attack asians I see this as more of uh, this was written to the film because they had an Asian character and this is just how Asian people are portrayed in this time. You know, uh, it's very that it's it's the same as like with with other like, you know, if you wanted to if you want to talk about like Latin people and like Mexicans who were portrayed in Hollywood at the time, you know, gangsters and mobsters and druggies and criminals and cleaning people and like gardeners, you know, stuff like people like, like like stuff like that, you know. It's just very, it is more of a form of passive racism, societal racism, maybe. I don't know. Either way, yes, it's a shitty moment in the mill, in the the movie. It definitely would not fly now. It shouldn't fly now. But it's still an example of this is a, uh, this was uh, just a moment of the time. And I think they, they had it happen because we know that Berlioz, can play the piano and there's and he joins in in the song and he's playing the piano and the other character that plays the piano that can join in with him is the Siamese cat who plays uh who also plays with using the chopsticks so yeah I that's that's my view on it um if you do have a differing opinion then by all means uh I definitely would love to hear from you know my uh, my Asian friends see what they thought kind of thing, you know, about it. Uh, and yeah. But once uh, once we get through this moment, <laughs> it's kind of funny because like when I say this is a rundown house, I mean, it's a rundown house. It's like a three story thing. And like they're playing so hard, they end up smashing through <laughs> the house to the bottom floor. And they're all still playing and singing along as they're marching out into the alley. It's very fun. Anyway. Now it's bedtime. The kittens are put in bed. Duchess and, and Thomas kind of go off and like have like a nice chat. It's a very romantic chat. Now we can see that there clearly is something going on. We can clearly see that Thomas is developing legitimate feelings for Duchess, you know, because he kind of brings up, you know, you know, it'd be nice to, you know, let the kittens have like a father and stuff, but and trying to entice Duchess to stay with him, but she's like, I can't, I have to go back to the Madame. 
And Thomas kind of like his opinion is that like it's just a human. Like humans don't really care about us. And this is something we've seen before, like when it comes to like pets and stuff like that. There's you'll have those pets that like have disdain for humans because of how they were treated. Um, you see a little bit of it since we were talking about Oliver and Company, you see a little bit of it in Oliver and Company. Um, but uh, Duchess is trying to kind of reinforce the fact that, uh, no, that's not the case with this. It's not the case with the, with the madame. The madame truly loves them as family and considers them like her, you know, her kids, which, you know, for those of us who are pet owners, I mean, I say those of us, I'm not a pet owner, but I love pets. Uh, understand that our pets are our kids. They're our family, right? And so he's trying to convey that fact, the fact that the madame sees, views them as family, uh, which I think is very sweet. Uh, and so he agrees reluctantly. Next morning, they head back to the house, and he's in, like, completely different area now. He's in, like, a suit, the super fancy part of Paris, and he's like, whoa, you sure this is the right spot? And she's like, yes, yes, yes. And they run to the house. And they're all excited. Uh, and then, oh, I completely forgot to say. So the morning after the heist, uh, <laughs> um, Edgar walks into the stable to feed Fru-Fru. And he basically admits to Fru-Fru what he did. He's like, look at this. I made the front page. Like, catnapping in Paris and because of course it hit the news right and so he's like very proud of himself Frufru's fucking pissed Roquefort's fucking pissed everyone's fucking pissed obviously um and so when they arrive back at the house uh Toulouse not Toulouse sorry uh they find not only is their cat door locked but Roquefort comes to the window to see them because he can hear them meowing and he's like no 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 you gotta go like run run away because you know trying to warn them about Edgar Edgar hears them and like comes out to like try and catch them or kid catch them again in the sack. Uh, after Duchess has said, has said goodbye to uh, Thomas. And so he's like, so he's mad now. So he goes to the stable and he basically calls for uh, a pickup because he throws them into a trunk and like the cats into a trunk and he's going to send them to Timbuktu of all places. And Duchess or, and then Roquefort comes to the chest and like talks to them and is like, and then they tell Roquefort to go find Thomas O'Malley. Uh, it was an alley cat. And he's like, and of course Roquefort is reluctant, but of course he does it. And so he runs off, goes to try and find Thomas who is fortunately like just around the corner. So he finds Thomas he tells him that the kit, kit, that Duchess and the kittens are in trouble. Thomas goes back to the house to try and help, and he tells him and he tells Roquefort to go find Scat Cat and the Alley Cats to go and get some backup. He's like, and so and Roquefort's like, wait, 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 wait. You want me to do what now? You want me to go into an alley, me, a mouse, and try and convince these cats to come and help me? And Thomas is like, you'll be fine. Just go tell them O'Malley sent you, and you'll be fine. You won't have any trouble. Roquefort's like, okay. So he goes to the alley and he gets caught by the alley cats. And they're like right about to eat him. And he's like, wait, 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 wait. I was sent here. I was sent here by someone. Couldn't remember. He's like, <laughs> he starts naming like Irish sounding names. He's like, oh, Keith. Oh, Grady. And they're like, nope. Sorry, little mousy. Uh, and they're like right about to eat him. And then he like freaks out. He's like, why did I have to trust that O'Malley cat? That's when they're like, O'Malley. Oh, okay. And then he tells them like, yeah, like D Duchess and the kittens are in trouble. And so like, all right, well, let's go. And then they go help him. And then <laughs> Roquefort like chases after him. He's like, you guys don't know where you're going. You don't know the way. And they pass. And it's funny because how they're running is like, there's the group of alley cats that are running first. And then Roquefort is behind them. And then there's some random guy who's drinking wine that I'm assuming is at some time in the morning like probably nine or 10 in the morning. And he's sitting there drinking a bottle of wine in a cafe. He sees what's happening. Oh shit. Ooh, knocked the mic. I got excited. Uh, he sees what's happening. And then he like, he like freaks out because he's like, why am I seeing what I'm seeing? Cause of course what to him he's seeing is that a mouse is chasing a bunch of cats. So he's like, well, fuck this. And starts to dump the wine out of the bottle. It's very funny. It's a very funny little moment. It's great. Uh, and so, 
back at the house, um, uh, Edgar like tries to get everything going and he's getting ready. Uh, but then Thomas shows up and like tries to stop him from locking or from locking the chest. Fru Fru is also helping out because you know she also doesn't want Edgar to win either. Uh, finally, the uh, the rest of the cats arrive. They're all trying to like like fight against Edgar, and then Roquefort goes up to because he uh, goes to the chest and tries to like undo the lock because it's it's just a regular like uh, I guess like tumbler. Oh, what kind of? It's like a regular padlock, like one that you would take to the gym. That has like a the the com- a combination lock. That's what it is. So he tried to undo the combination lock, but he can't hear it. So he just yells quiet, and everybody stops moving. And there's Edgar with like a cat on his head, cats in his hands, cats on his legs, like they're clawing into him. He stops. Everyone's silent. And then Roquefort unclicks it and opens it. And then everybody starts fighting again. There are funny moments like that in this film that I really enjoy. Anyway, so gets everybody out. Thomas helps to open the thing and they're just about to get out. But then Edgar comes in, shuts the chest with them inside. And then he's seemingly about to win. Uh, but then uh, everyone escapes. Fru-Fru kicks him right into the chest. They lock the chest and then they kick the chest outside for the pick- for the pickup people to come in and grab it. So the people come in, they grab it, and they're like, all right, just go into Timbuktu. And so, and that was that. Uh, and it's funny because I don't think it ever got back to the touches, or not to the, to the madame, what happened. Because to her, all that happened was that not only is she ecstatic that the cats are back, but also she has to, like, she assumes that Edgar just left. And it was like, and she's like, oh, you know, I feel like if he knew about the will, then he wouldn't have left. And it's like, the funny thing is that he did know about the will and he wasn't happy about it. <laughs> and so I don't think it, I got back. To, I don't think it got back to her that he's the one that stole them. So we don't know what happened to Edgar. Like, is he just like in a chest somewhere? Like, I feel like somebody must have heard him. I feel like somebody must have heard like, why is this chest making noises? And they open the chest and they find a human body in it. Like. It's just very, very funny. Anyway, and so Thomas gets adopted into the family. And then we find out. So not only does she scratch Edgar off the will, but also apparently the madame starts a new organization, like a home, a house and home for the Alley Cats of Paris, because we start hearing the music playing under, downstairs. And this is where we get a reprise of Everybody Wants to Be a Cat, like the big fun, like the big band jazzy portion of the song. Uh, and then we outro into that. And it's funny because it like cuts into like sequences and scenes from other characters. We go back to Napoleon and Lafayette uh, at some point. And then that's the end of the movie. All in all, this movie is very fun. I really like it. Thomas O'Malley is a great character and especially just like a nice character that like kind of while he is a player, he's definitely a player. He's also not an asshole. And I like that about him. Like we... He's a player, but then we like him because he's honest and he doesn't dismiss this mom and three kids, you know, a single mom, the single mom and three kids, right? Because like, that's a real thing. And I think that single moms deserve to have just as much chance at a relationship than, than single people with no kids do, right? I mean, like my sister was a single mom for a long time before finally meeting her husband. And so like... Yeah, like single mom, single moms matter. My mom was a single mom with my sister before she met my dad, right? So like, yeah, single moms deserve love too. That's the me- that's the message that I'm going to take away from this movie. Also, don't catnap people. Like, don't ki- don't steal people's cats. That's just mean. <laughs> anyway, I'd give this movie like seven or eight out of ten. I think it's great. I think it's fun. It's a great movie. Uh, it's only like an hour and 20 minutes. It's really not that long. Um, the animation is admittedly very nice. Like it's a little bit, it, it seems a little cleaner than kind of like the Xeroxy sketchy stuff that we're used to. Um, because you don't see a lot of like the blatant sketch outlines, but you, it, but it still feel like if it feels, it feels like they took that technique or that, the, like that concept, like the Xeroxy sketchy stuff that they were doing in like the last few films and uh, at the end of the silver age, and then kind of like just fine tuned it, like they kind of cleaned it up a little bit, 
Um, so yeah, the animation is really nice. Like I said, the songs are okay. In my opinion, there's probably only really two good ones in it. Like everybody wants to be a cat's kind of like the go-to song from that movie. But I personally much prefer, uh, Thomas's song. Uh, but that's just me. Anyway, it's a great movie. Highly recommend. Give it a watch. It's great. Now, Ooh, jeepers. That was loud. Sorry about that. (laughs) Sorry, just screaming in people's ears. Uh, so next week, uh, we are going to continue our venture into the bronze age of Disney, uh, with, uh, let me just figure this out. I think it's, oh my goodness. I think it is. It's Robin Hood. Ooh. All right. All right, furries. Let's have a chat. <laughs> yes, we're going to get into Robin Hood, uh, which I'm very excited for because I, I think it's, this is another just legitimately super great movie, and I love this movie. Uh, yeah, I'm very excited. Like The Bronze Age, I think, has has movies that I think are much better than people give them credit for. Like, if we want to list them all, like, so there's the Aristocats, which we just watched. There's Robin Hood, Winnie the Pooh, Rescuers, Fox and the Hound, which I will probably cry at again. The Black Cauldron, which is, like, the first, like, kind of horror-style classic Disney film. The Great Mouse Detective? Like, fuck. And also Oliver and Company, where we start kind of jumping back into the concept of the Disney musical. Like, I don't know. People shit on the Bronze Age, but honestly, these movies are all really great. Any hoozles. Okay. So, yes. So next week, we're going to go into Robin Hood, and I'm very excited about it. I hope you will enjoy exploring uh, the, like, oh, what would it be? Nothing. Like, the Gen X, uh, the Gen Xers that realized they were furries because of this movie. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, much love to you all. Take care of yourselves. Drink your water. Eat your food. Take your meds. All that jazz. And we'll see you all next week. Bye.